Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. Today's guest is Vito Gesualdi, a comedian, actor, and writer who has built a YouTube following of over 230,000 through his funny and sometimes controversial videos. He joins us today after his participation last week at the protest outside the Netflix headquarters in Los Angeles. I welcome Vito Gesualdi to Savage Minds. You decided to go to the walkout slash protest outside the Netflix headquarters last week in Los Angeles and act as a counter protester. Why did you decide to participate in this way? Well, uh, I mean, when I first heard the controversy around Dave Chappelle's special, a special I watched and, you know, obviously he's saying, saying some things which are a bit controversial, maybe that inspires controversy, but they didn't seem controversial enough that they were demanding of the kind of outrage that was kind of coming his way with people demanding that the special be removed, that it needed a special disclaimer at the beginning of it, and that Netflix needed to answer for some great sin for uh, platforming what they called hate speech. And as a comedian, whenever I hear, you know, that jokes are being called hate speech, I kind of want to dig into it and go, okay, well, what was said? And uh, nothing that Chappelle said really fit that definition for me. I know some jokes can go pretty far and maybe too far even, but come on, there's, there's nothing in that special that's, uh, again, warranting of an entire protest, walkout from all the employees, whatever else. So we saw what we thought was an absurd protest, and we thought, well, why don't we answer in an absurd way and use comedy? And we showed up with signs that had messages like, jokes are funny, uh, Dave is funny, we like jokes. And uh, that was kind of our way as comedians of saying, uh, I think you guys are attacking the wrong target here. That comedy is not the great evil that you seem to believe it is. Why has comedy, in your opinion, become targeted by these activists, Netflix employees who walked out last Wednesday? I mean, these are folks who see themselves as Guardian reporter Owen Jones says, on the right side of history. Right. Well, that's what it kind of comes down to is you get this idea in your head that you've got all the answers and uh, anyone who has any alternate opinion or wants to even have a discussion of the issues is uh, rather than have that discussion, it's just easier to stomp them out. And they've been very successful at doing so. I mean, we live in an era, the social media era, where a small group of dedicated activists with, you know, time on their hands and a coordinated network can affect great change, even within major media organizations, just by giving the appearance that there is great societal outrage towards something that has transpired. Um, but I think these companies, they, they move too quickly and they don't realize that, you know, whatever voices they're hearing don't really represent the greater population. And I mean, we saw this with the Netflix protest. We were told thousands would be walking out I think we saw about 50 people, maybe a few, you know, half from the company, half from the surrounding community. Uh, a lot of news media made up probably the bulk of the uh, those in attendance. And it really does just seem like a, a group of people who, yes, think they're on the right side of history, want to dominate the conversation. And they hate the idea that other voices exist, especially the voice of a comedian, because a comedian's voice can be very powerful. Did you see protesters outside from the Jewish community, for instance, protesting against his space Jews joke? No, there was no nothing of that. Um, it was focused entirely on jokes made against 
the transgender community. Right. Well, I was making a point here with the fact right. that we didn't see lesbians. He made loads of jokes about lesbians and gay men as well, and they right. didn't show up. What's happened, do you think, that this movement has no funny bone? <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot to dig into, honestly. You have a group of people who, well, let's put it, let's look at it this way. I think we live right now, and I know it sounds like a cliche, uh, and I don't even know the best way to put it to make it not sound like a cliche, but the idea of victimhood, a victimhood culture, where uh, one's worth uh, can often be uh, discerned by how much they have suffered. Those who suffer the most should have the loudest voices so that they can rectify the wrongs against them. The question is, who decides who has suffered most? Who deserves the loudest voice in the conference? I mean, it's a fool's errand. You could never truly determine that. So you have a group of people who believe they are somewhere near the top of that list, that they have suffered more. I mean, we had someone who said that what is happening to trans people now is the equivalent of, I don't know if they said the Holocaust or a Holocaust. And I hate to say it, but no matter what uh, the trans community has suffered, that's a really horrible comparison. I hate to laugh. Um, so you have a group of people who believe, I mean, they've suffered as much as the, the Holocaust. They believe they've suffered so greatly <laughs> that they have. The, it's it's comical <laughs> to put the, you know, I'm running the numbers here, guys, and you're you're off by a couple million. I hate to be more than a couple. Uh, <laughs> you see, no, run, but run them through the calculator again. Right. But you know, Vito, I mean, numbers are subjective. Um, I don't know if you've read the articles out there by the same trans activist community that have gone out of their way to prove that two plus two can actually equal five. We're talking right. about empirical reality. And I don't know if you followed much of the feminist debate over this. And this has been going on. I've been involved in this for nine years now, over nine yes. years. It's been fierce because there is a group of people demanding that we debate things that you could not pass a high school exam if you did not answer certain questions correctly. If, if you answer a high school, let's say 10th grade biology exam about are humans sexually dimorphic and your answer is, but Nemo, but in your answer is, <laughs> well, you know, my friend is intersex, which has zero to do with transgender identity because one is pathological right. and the other is emotive. So we're seeing a group of people who are politicized against concrete, what Marx might call historical material reality. This is something that's really problematic because I watched his show. I found it honestly far less critical of the trans community than his previous Netflix special where he yeah. really went there. So I thought of all things to get a protest, this was the most anodyne of his criticism of transgender ideology. I think that what really fired them up was uh, his saying, I'm on team turf. Um, turf is a word I'm sure your listeners know uh, that seems to be used in a very charged way in these communities. I mean, it's the equivalent it's the most hateful bigot you could possibly be, apparently, is the turf. Worse than Hitler. Worse, well, yes, everyone is in there in the eyes of some of these uh, activists. I mean, and, and you're right. It, what it comes down to is they don't want to have a discussion because the discussions that they try to control and control the uh, aspects of those discussions 
they know that they don't have a firm leg to stand on in a lot of these things. You know, they'll say very lofty things like, well, you know, uh, you don't need not every woman has a vagina, right, is one they'll say. And you'll go, okay, well, tell me something every woman does have. What is the essential quality of a woman? What do you define a woman as? And they can't answer that. You ask what? Okay, well, then tell me the difference between a man and a woman. What is the, what is the key difference between those two? And they couldn't answer it. They'll say self-determination. You're like, well, that, that, that doesn't mean anything. That means at any point I could be a man or a woman, depending on what I feel. It, it has no marking on how I actually act or behave in society. Uh, it, there's a lot of lack of logic to the transgender uh, conversation. It's a lot of conversation based on emotion. I feel like a woman. Well, that's a hard topic to unpack. What does it mean to feel like a woman? And if you try to dig into it, you very quickly discover, well, you know, I will, I like wearing pretty clothes. I like wearing my hair a certain way. Okay. But a lot would say that isn't the essential quality of being a woman. I think a lot of biological women would say, I'm not defined by how I dress or how I talk or anything of that nature. So yes, it is a, it is a group of uh, activists who realize if they have to start answering these questions, if they have to really, you know, dig down and start defining what it is they mean by certain you know, uh, catchphrases they've come up with, uh, they might fall on their face. And so the easier thing to do is to just shut the comedian up because he's raising too many questions. There's a trans activist on Twitter, Katie Montgomery, who's been saying nobody wants to debate the trans activists. I'll debate you. Everyone's thrown their hat in the ring, especially in the UK where Montgomery is based. I have as well. We haven't been taken up on our offer and we know why. They will fall flat. It will be akin to the flat earthers trying to, if you've seen that documentary on Netflix, trying to prove that the earth has a glass bubble over it and we're all on one plane. (laughs) Right. It is. I, I and here's the thing is I understand where trans people are coming from, that they believe that transitioning in this way and identifying this way is going to make them happier and have them live a more fulfilled life. And that's great. And if you can find a way, and I I even believe we can find laws that accommodate that and allow people to have that sort of expression. The problem is that rights intersect. I mean, when your rights as a trans woman intersect with those of a biological woman, I always bring up the opportunity, the example of, you know, you have a female prisoner, a biological female prisoner who's told she's going to be sharing a cell with a biological male. I mean, that's a conversation you have to have. Is that just something we go, well, they're both women, Uh, you know, what's going to happen? Or do you go, I don't know, one of them has a has a, an orifice that is designed to be penetrated by the other one, you know, not to be vulgar, but it could lead to some complications that we need to talk about. And I, it, it does feel like wishful thinking from the trans side of things to just go, well, we'll, we'll just put it out of mind. We'll just see where it goes. And you're like, I, I think we need to have those conversations now. To be fair, the trans identified community And I'll use that term because I think the whole problem of this ideology rests in material reality, but they already have the rights to which you referred earlier. They have rights. Yes. It is illegal to deny someone housing on any number of bases in the U.S. and in most countries today. You cannot simply say, I will not give you a job because you're wearing a dress and I see you as a man. And in fact, I've lived in many places around the world where 
men wear dresses and maybe some people think that's odd, but they live their lives and people go on. Now, this is the problem. When I wrote my first piece on this issue, I, I interviewed a specialist in the field of psychiatry who told me, as Hakim, that I can put your hand into warm water, but I cannot command you to make you feel it as cold. And this is rather the intersection where we're at. Trans activists want rights that they already have, and then they want to force us to fit into their mirror. And this is where mm -hmm. a lot of people, especially women, many feminists, but many not, who say, wait a sec, everything that you say about feeling like a woman is chock full of the misogyny that our foremothers fought against. I mean, how dare right. you say that putting on a dress and a bit of rouge is going to make you a woman? That is offensive in the very same way that Rachel Dolezal did not get away with her shtick on saying she was black. That fell very quickly to the ground. We didn't see protests saying, give her rights. She is an African-American. No, right. because people recognize material reality in most circumstances. If I were to go to the queen and say, mm, you got to move out of the palace, uh, that's mine. I identify it as mine. I would be locked up, <laughs> I'm sure, in a funny farm. So right. we're talking about a certain kind of ideology that is commanding that we kowtow to a self, what many would say, self-delusion. I'm on, on team self-delusion simply because I can tell you, Vito, eat my pizza. It's the best pizza you'll ever have. And if you don't agree <laughs> with me, I kick you out of my house. Sure. This is a little nuts where we're being told how to perceive others. And what Dave Chappelle's jokes did, that last show of his, The Closer, was very compassionate. I thought it was the most compassionate approach he's taken to this topic. So I was like, wait a sec, he paid homage to this trans-identified person. I'm sure they got annoyed when he says, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna call her up and say, your father. And I'm sure that outraged people. There's a journalist for The Guardian. She tried to have herself declared legally on her birth certificate as a man. She went on to make a documentary about this. And the thing is, is women know who give birth. And it's no coincidence that in the UK, almost every single public and private agency and NGO has gone out of their way to call us uterus havers. Birthers. Is that my God? We've been called front holders, front holders, or people with front holes. The most dehumanizing rhetoric has been used to describe my sex in the service of paying homage to these men. But click over to the NGOs that deal specifically with prostate cancer. You will never find any mention of men yeah. as front noodlers, as I like to call them, or you know, people with prostates, etc. It is a very one-sided uh, way the terminology goes, which is very bizarre. It's part of what the feminists might call patriarchy. I call it more structural misogyny because this has been laid out very clearly against women. I mean, in the US, in the UK, there are many cases documented of women being raped in prisons because the authorities have allowed this ideology to go so far as to usher in men who identify as women into these prisons. Right. now. There are people who will make exceptions and say, well, if they have the surgery, if wait a sec, on what planet are we that we're going to start then making scales for being a woman? You know, right. if you do this, it's almost like mother may I, a perverse form of it, mind you. And so I have to wonder why we have kowtowed to something that is so patently self-involved, many would say narcissistic, in terms of accommodating people's 
self-image. We will not see this anywhere else. I mean, would you or I try to tell the IRS, mm, not paying taxes this year, I identify as having earned zero last year. <laughs> yes. That's the thing is there's a lot of uh, inconsistencies and sometimes absurdities. And I mean, what you really want to communicate to these people is, listen, I want you to live your life in the way you think is going to bring you happiness. I mean, if you want to move to the woods and be a religious zealot or whatever else, I can't stop you from doing most things. Um, but we do have you can't force me to then accept whatever God you've invented. And in this God, you know, that you've invented here is the idea that, you know, a biological man or, a, you know, there's no difference between a trans woman and a biological woman. No, no difference whatsoever. Any thing that you might discern is just, you know, flotsam amidst the uh, ultimate bigger picture. And uh, I have a friend who makes uh, videos. His name's Max. And uh, he refers to this as, yes, you have human rights, but I have he calls them his ape rights, the right to look at someone and go, I know I know what biological sex you are by looking at you. I mean, some people do pass and it's harder to tell. But for the large part, you, your mind will go, well, I, I know that that is a biological man. And, and they're trying to tell us, well, it, it, thinking that is a form of bigotry. And you go, well, I don't know if it is. I think it's just something that's hardwired into me where there's always going to be part of me where if I see someone who looks like a biological man, I'm going to think, well, that's a man. But I'm happy, you know, again, to say, to call them by the pronouns they want, you know, for the sake of pleasantry in society, it does not, uh, I mean, obviously, I'm not speaking from the perspective of a woman, whereas probably you don't agree with uh, going along with what they're asking for. I'm not sure where you land on that, actually. I'll, I'll tell you where I land, because I am a member of the LGB community. And I was living in Europe when the tea was added, went back to New York at one point, it was 98. And I saw the tea and I was in a gay bar in the West Village and I said, what's the tea? And someone said, it's transgender. And I said, quite honestly, I said, what on earth does that have to do with us? And, you know, <laughs> the discussion evolved and I found most people sitting at the bar with me agreed. They didn't understand it, but their go-to line was, well, we're helping them out so they can have their rights just like we were helped out during the AIDS crisis. And I thought, and I said, this has nothing to do with AIDS. This has nothing to do with anything other than, well, what was categorized in the dsm 4 as a, a mental illness and might, according to people like Ray Blanchard, who I've interviewed on the show, and he's a specialist in autogynephilia, and he has noted that as gay rights have become more accepted, that more and more of these, especially men who identify as transgender, are autogynephiles. So if you are going to discuss what transgender means, there has to be some kind of scientific basis for this. But what's happened, similar to the protests outside Netflix, the people who write the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual in the last edition, number five, it came out and what was called gender identity disorder was lobbied out of existence by this group. And there was pressure put on people writing that manual to shift the language to what is now called gender dysphoria. Who knows what will be when the DSM-6 comes out and who knows how many right. years. It <laughs> might be called nothing. It might be removed entirely. And this begs right. questions from the 
medical? Will health insurance have to cover feelings that are no longer medicalized? How can you make the argument on the one hand that gender dysphoria is a psychiatric condition that should be carried out by doctors and clinicians and therapists, psychiatrists, and on the other say, no, gender is, and this is what has happened over the years, I've witnessed this, it shifted from being about self-identity to now becoming this rigorous pseudoscience where the trans activists like to say, gender is between your legs, sex is between your ears. They're trying to reverse what is a feeling. Sex is a feeling and gender is more ingrained in biology. It's a very strange reverse. And all, at the same time, they will argue that to deny their identity to say that I see you as a man, that ape reaction, that very right. primal reaction to what we see with our eyes is akin to murder. Words are murder. So <laughs> thoughts right. are murder too. So we're seeing that the captures happen far beyond Dave Chappelle. What we're seeing in the larger scape of this argument is that people who do not kowtow to feelings are being not only censored, they've been fired. I don't know if you followed the cases of Maya Forstater, who was fired over her opinions on this subject. And she's not one. I've interviewed teachers who've lost their job, university professors who have been slandered, even within their own unions. It's shocking that the left, and for full disclosure for you, I am firmly on the left, I, I view the Democratic Party in the U.S. as hardly left, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and um, I'm right there with you. Yeah, and I have to say that it is shocking to see unions, which historically have been based in the working class and in reality, now cater to this absolute bullshit, I'm sorry to say. No one would deny that if you want to call yourself Stella, I'll call you Stella. If you want to go outside and have a tiara and dungarees, I'm like, go for it. You know, who isn't for supporting any kind of wardrobe, any kind of performance? Okay. But there's a line that seems to have been crossed where, if you recall, maybe when you were growing up, and certainly when I was growing up, the cases of transgender people were few and far between because it was firmly acknowledged as a psychiatric condition that was treated in a certain way. Now, We've also seen historically that the treatments didn't really pan out. The Johns Hopkins Gender Clinic shut its doors in 1979 with the firm reasoning that we have shown that there has been no benefit to these practices that we have been undertaking. And right. a lot of people don't understand this history. And it's really important that we understand it to understand why this has happened today. I also would add that it's no coincidence that gender identity in its precursor years came to the fore in the US in the 1950s with certain high profile cases like Christina Jorgensen and others who were men often from the military today. It includes military, IT. These are the two major groups. Really? These are I, I male dominated. Yeah, male dominated oh. fields where all of a sudden call me Stella. <laughs> and. <laughs> There was a diagnosis of these men in the 1950s by John Money, amongst others, but John Money is known for having worked in this field because he was part of a cure for a child who had an accidentally lost his penis during a botched circumcision. And right. John Money 
went through the process of convincing his parents to just have the child be turned into a girl. The story is tragic because that little boy ended up living a very sad life and ended up killing himself. Now, again, most people who are out there saying, you know, support trans lives, it's like, do a little research about what kind of ideology this is buttressing, because this is buttressing the worst of sexism. We're living in a world where we're telling people effectively, if you like tiaras and pink and flowers and you feel weepy, then you're a woman. Holy shit. No, thank you. That is yes, so offensive it's, it's to me. It's completely backwards. Yeah. I mean, as I've said uh, to others, I mean, I played with dolls as a child, you know, uh, and the, the the rhetoric at the time was, of course, anyone could play with a doll, a boy or a girl. And now, uh, again, my friend recently put together a big video on gender, and he has a, a cut of all these transgender, uh, young transgender people saying why they believe they're transgender. And they go, well, you know, I always played with dolls as a child. And that's, I think that's when I knew. And you go, whoa, I, I think you, somebody gave you the wrong message. Same one gave you an antiquated message of, well, girls play with dolls, thus you are a girl. Whereas uh, I think a lot of transgender people, I want to ask them, like, what, why could you not do what you're seeking to do now as a man? If you want to wear pretty clothes, play with certain toys, uh, dress, speak, act in a manner, uh, boys can do that as well. So what is the essential quality of womanhood that you seek? And I think a lot of them don't have an answer to that question. I think the only the real answer to that question is, well, I just think it'll be easier if I call myself a woman because people already understand uh, the the stereotypes associated with that word. They want to reinforce the gender stereotype. So when they tell someone they're a woman, someone goes, ah, of course, you must dress this way, act this way, and so forth. Whereas if a boy were to do the same, then they don't want to deal with the confusion that might arise. Um, and I can, under, I can almost understand thinking it will be easier to do this way, but it ultimately makes it so much messier in the long run when we try to sort out again, what what is it to be a woman? And uh, you have a group that, again, is uh, reinforcing a lot of harmful gender stereotypes. And I do feel truly bad for uh, biological women because of this. I don't like you being told that your womanhood is reduced down to what I would consider superficial traits. Well, it's also reduced down to our anatomy at the same time. They claim that we're making the argument right. that reducing them to anatomy. No, we're saying that sex is real, but then they end up trying to erase the very language that defines us. So you have Cancer UK calling women. And I remind our listeners in the UK, that there's a lot of immigrants who are not native English speakers. So when they see flyers and posters on the bus saying, if you have a cervix, you need to, you know, like you know, people with cervixes, right. get a pap smear. This is insane. People with cervix, because yes. Yep. And it, uh. it's so dehumanizing because at the same time that they argue we're reducing them to biology, what is actually happening, it's Darvo on a, a primal level. They're doing it to us. So they've erased all the language and they've reduced us to being reproductive units, people with uteri. Uh, menstruators. We're called menstruators so many times. Ooh. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That's what a lovely term. It has such a ring to it. Yeah, well, I think Tampax <sighs> and all those companies should use it in their publicities. Are you a menstruator? Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
I don't I don't know how to sort out these times. I really don't. And obviously, I, I must be honest to say that as much as I try to remain educated on these issues, I can't claim to be I'm not going to be the best guy to go to in terms of uh, sorting out trans ideology and whatever else. But I mean, I do know we need to talk about it. I mean, as a comedian, I, I that's I have to talk about it. Let's be clear. I'll go crazy. I mean, we're living at an unprecedented time in the human history. This is the first, as I always say, this is the first time in human history that we've been told turning your penis inside out is an act of great societal bravery. That's weird. And it's weird. And it's something that uh, we should talk about. You can't just say, well, it's weird. And if you talk about it, you're a bigot. You have to go, yeah, it's weird. Let's talk about it. Let's have the discussion. Why would someone choose to make that uh, assumption about themselves or their bodies? You know, what would cause somebody to have such a dysphoria that they feel they need to take? What I think most of us would say is a radical step. And um, they don't want us to have that conversation. They don't want us to even get closer to having that conversation by joking about it. And it is a very scary time to be a comedian. You're listening to Savage Minds, and we hope you're enjoying the show. Please consider subscribing. We don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors, and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you. Now, back to our show. You decided to speak back to this. You showed up at the walkout slash protest. You were holding a sign that said, I think on one side, we like Dave, and on the other, jokes are funny. Yes. Your co-host, Dick Masterson, had a great sign that said, we like jokes. I saw that before I saw your sign, <laughs> and I was laughing. And then in the video clip of your counter-protest, you are seen saying the following, I'm just here to say that jokes are funny, people. Dave Chappelle's a funny guy. I love Dave. I don't know why all the violence. I don't know why all the hate. I just love Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. Woo! That's what you said. <laughs> and then this is what happened. That is my exact quote. Yes. That the Associated Press then lied about what you said and what you did. And they wrote this about you under a photo. Comedian and videographer Vito Gesualdi screams profanities as he engages with peaceful protesters begging him to leave outside the Netflix building in Hollywood section of Los Angeles. Yes. You were photographed by an Associated Press photographer named Damien Dovarganis. Can you tell our listeners what happened? I'm going to link to the video, by the way, but sure. it would be good for you to just describe. Oh, fantastic. Well, I, as you said, we were at the protest. My sign, we, we couldn't come up with the perfect slogans. We had a couple variations, but my sign had two sides. One said, we like Dave. The other side said, jokes are funny. Uh, and I mean, let's be clear. We were there to show our support for comedy. We weren't quiet about it. You know, we had a few little fun chants going of we like jokes. Jokes are funny, you know, and we were having a bit of fun with it as a pair of idiotic comedians from the Internet might do. That being said, I mean, we weren't violent. We have the same free speech rights as anyone else. We stayed, you know, we didn't put our hands on anyone. We're not idiots. So we're there and we're making ourselves known. And as we're waving these flags around, a man who we have actually identified as a Netflix writer uh, grabs my sign, which is in my hands, and uh, basically yanks it uh, almost from my hands, uh, gets it down on the ground and begins to stomp on it and breaks it in half. Uh, at this point, I'm left holding, you know, the stick end of a sign. There is no sign remaining, just a stick 
on which a sign was previously attached. And this man who has just broken my sign knows full well that what he has done yells, he's got a weapon referring to the broken half of a stick, which I am currently holding on to. Uh, and this was such a bizarre absurdity to me at first that I, I laughed. I'm like, oh, he's got a weapon, of course, ladies and gentlemen. But very quickly, I realized, oh, he's serious. He's trying. I mean, he's not serious in that he thinks I have a weapon. He's serious in that he wants this crowd to beat me up under the false assumption that I am some sort of violent bigot who has descended upon these people. And I, I know people are listening to this. They probably can't see me. I don't look like a very threatening guy. I really don't. I'm a big, uh, chubby, whatever guy. I'm not there to cause any trouble. But uh, the crowd immediately turns around to confront me, believing that I'm some sort of violent psychopath. And it's at this point that, yes, you've given the what I yelled to the crowd. I yell, I'm just here for jokes. I love jokes. I love Dave. At the same time, a woman with a tambourine is, is shaking it in my face, telling me to repent. I have another, you know, group of people uh, throwing their hands in the air to try and keep pushing me back. Uh, again, all a great absurdity to me. Uh, just truly bizarre. And then to see the again, the Associated Press report on this as well, look at this. Look at this man screaming obscenities at peaceful protesters. And again, my obscenities are I like Dave Chappelle and uh, the peaceful protesters have just finished ripping my sign out of my hands and breaking it into pieces. So, yeah, it was a very surprising. I mean, I've known I know that there is uh, media out there that can occasionally try to be a bit sneaky, but I was not expecting them to run that one past. And thank God there's video footage of the entire encounter to kind of thank indicate goodness. that. Yeah, because yeah. if you look at the stills, they have that one photo of you taller than another person who's, I believe, right. a woman. And, uh, God, you can't even say that in this day and age. A front, uh, you no. know, a front holer. A front holer, and, yes. Yeah, and, you know, God. And if you had just looked at the still, one would maybe jump to the conclusion, since you're the big guy, that you were pushing against her. But oh, it was yeah. very clear when you watch the video, it was the inverse. And they were trying to get you to react violently. It was really shocking that that was their M.O. Yeah, well, they know. I mean, and I've covered protests before. Um on my channel, youtube.com slash veto. I do a lot of different comedy stuff. And I have gone to some of these protests in the past just to see what happens and kind of film it. And I've seen these tactics of they they're trying. Yeah, they know that they want to get a reaction out of you because then they get to sell the narrative of look at this violent side. They are the side of evil. We are the side of good. And here where they even they, they couldn't make that work they went for it anyway they went wow well he's a big he's a big scary guy and this tiny lady is trying to hold him back it looks like he's evil let's just run with it no one's gonna call us on it and i do have to say thank you to so many journalists came out and said i can't believe what the associated press has done this is a violation of every journalistic ethic in the book uh so thank you to them for being willing to stand up for me because I, I don't have that power i'm really nobody in the scope of things uh and i i want to say i was surprised but part of me i don't know i guess i'm just so used to the misinformation out there on all sides of this debate that i go yeah of course they slandered me i'm surprised anybody cared enough to come to my defense and thank you to everyone who did
Um, well, it wasn't just the AP. It was Variety. They tweeted a comment with a photo showing you the photo I mentioned earlier of you and a woman who was actually pushing against you. And they wrote on Twitter, at times the Netflix walkout situation threatened to devolve as counter protesters pushed against trans speakers. <gasps> right. I was wow. the one pushing against. When you clearly see that they're pushing me back. I, it's, it's bizarre. And again, they find the one still, I had a smile on my face. I was laughing, joking with everyone. Somehow they find the one moment where I look a little bit scary. They go, oh, there, that one, right there. He's got a look in his eye that I think we can sell as something. Uh, it's, a, it's a scary time. Now I'll tell you this is that I mean, that's the mainstream press. What we've been dealing with the last uh, day, day and a half, is you have these, I don't know what you want to call them, activist newsletters, whatever, which go out and they go one step further. We're dealing with one that says, well, uh, they've proved our point. We said that Dave Chappelle's special would cause violence. And that was demonstrated by Vito Giswaldi and his co-host, Dick Masterson, who went out there and were choking people. And... I choke. I have not choked anyone in my life. And uh, let's just say we have the video of the supposed choking. And it's the same guy who tried to get me beaten up. Same guy who ripped the flag out of my hands. Does this weird little move, puts himself between Dick and the sign he's holding. So imagine a guy's holding a sign with two hands and you pop up in that circle, you know, between his hands. Now, all of a sudden it looks like, oh, you've got him in a bear hug. You're trying to choke him. Well, no, he's just holding on to his sign and you popped out of nowhere. And I, people, a lot of people don't know this. I mean, I was lucky to escape largely unscathed. My friend Dick, uh, again, who came with me with science, he was violently attacked. He had his head sh shoved into a concrete planter, uh, has been to the doctor. We don't know what's going to happen. So to be told that I was the one beating up on uh, peaceful protesters, I hate to say it, I've, I've gone from being kind of, you know, uh, jokey about like oh what a thing i went through and now that i've seen the footage of my friend being attacked i went these people are maniacs i'm i'm very not happy i i laugh because i i this is how i deal with these sorts of things but truly i'm quite upset uh, and that we're being cast as the villains i mean again this newsletter has a nice graphic of us and we're all highlighted in red and the the brave speakers are all highlighted like angels and I'm being told I choked people. I, if I choked someone, I'm pretty sure I would know about it. It's, it's lunacy, really. What newsletter was this? Uh, let me see. It's called Left, Left Right Something or Other. I'll find it in two seconds. Uh, let's see. They called us Violent Bigots. I know that was in the, the headline. <laughs> Give me a minute and I'll pull it up. How's that? But yeah, it was, uh, again, it was like a newsletter. It's for activists and they... They try to highlight, um, I mean, I want to say Antifa. I don't know if that's the exact uh, right word to use, but it's the same sort of uh, sphere. Mm -hmm. Let me see. I should have it right here. Okay, so the headline was Netflix walkout demonstration unimpeded by turfs and other local bigots. I have to assume that we are the uh, local bigots to which they refer uh, I don't consider myself a local bigot, but that uh, is unfortunately what we've had here. Okay, left coast. Well, you're a white front noodler, so you don't get to comment. Right, exactly. Okay, I found the site. It is called Left Coast Right Watch. 
leftcoastrightwatch.org. Mm. And this is a group that, again, tries to find the bad people. Now, to be fair, I don't know exactly who they go against. You know, maybe some of these groups are, uh, you know, right wing extremists. But as I've told people, I mean, I'm a true blue liberal. I voted for the good Joe Biden, despite his many faults. And um, uh, I don't know. It's just a very insane situation to be cast as a hate monger when you know you went out there as a comedian and really did not intend to hurt anyone in any way. And no, I know we hurt no one in any way. They hurt us. Well, they tried to get you killed. I mean, you were at a protest yes. peacefully. I watched the video many times. I watched many videos many times. You had your sign destroyed. You were set up to look as if you showed up with a stick with someone screaming, he has a weapon. This is downtown Los Angeles. I mean, you were put in the position right. that anyone that didn't see that one person destroy your sign, and they might have been 10 meters away and they heard he has a weapon, they might have come over and tried to tackle you or worse. I mean, I hate to say it. We live in a <laughs> when we're, you know, in America, God bless the LAPD, but they hear he's got a weapon. Next thing you know, I'm on the ground with two bullets in my chest. Uh, in the video, I'm, it looks like I'm keeping my cool, but again, I've been to these protests and I hear he's got a weapon. I know what that is. That's a signal attack this man, beat, beat the ever loving hell out of him. So if you look at the video, I'm backing away from the crowd. I'm going, he's got a weapon, you know, joking, trying to make it into a joke as I'm looking behind me. Cause they always come from behind. I'm like, is there anyone behind me right now about to tackle me to the ground? Cause if I end up on the ground, it's over. If I end up anytime you end up on the ground in one of these situations, that is just something kicks in and everybody and they come and they kick your head in. So thankfully, I'm a big guy. Nobody came and uh, tackled me from behind. Maybe I sound dramatic, but I've seen it happen and it is horrifying. And uh, but yeah, there is a there is a genuine fear of the whole time I'm there. There's a fear. I mean, I have guys in masks and sunglasses. I can't see their face. They're staring daggers into me very clearly intending to get me hurt. There was one guy who's streaming, uh, chases us to our car so he can get my license plate number. Uh, as I'm giving my phone number to uh, another activist who's there, he's going, oh, oh, I'm getting your phone number. I can hear your phone number. I'm like, why do you want my phone number? What is your plan? Uh, I don't know what these people want. I don't know what they're capable. I do know what they're capable of, however, because I've seen it firsthand. I've been to these protests. And, you know, I have so many people telling me, well, you're a nut. Why are you going out there? And I go, I don't know. Something in me makes me feel compelled to stand up for the craft of comedy that I truly believe in and love. And maybe whatever that is inside of me is stronger than the self-preservation instinct that I possibly should have. But I don't know. I, I had to go out and just say comedy is the most important thing in my life it really is it's the only thing that has gotten me and i've had hardships in my life ups and downs and comedy has always been the most important thing for me it's how i navigate truth it's how i find a higher truth it's it's at a religion to me in a way so the idea that anyone would tell me well we're taking jokes away you can't joke about this anymore i don't want you to explore this truth i don't want you to find any uh hire anything here just leave and leave us alone well i can't do it i just can't do it and maybe that makes me crazy, but I, I have no other way to be. I don't know. You were aggressed. People were calling you all sorts of obscenities. And then one woman came up to you and told you to repent. And I did a double take. I'm like, is this an anti-abortion rally? This was very strange. 
Yes. There was some writer, I, I should get the name because I keep bringing him up, and he said, you know, I've marched for gay rights, uh, you know, a homosexual writer. So I marched in the 80s, 90s, and onward, and we have become the religious right that we once rallied against. How can you yell, repent? Uh, it's like a caricature. You couldn't write a character this insane. Uh, yeah, as just shaking this tambourine in my face, telling me repent, uh, mother effort. I mean, they say I was yelling obscenities. This woman was yelling far more obscenities than I think I've yelled in a week. Um, and it just comes. I mean, I think even her other uh, supporters realized it was too absurd at a point. I think at some point someone told her, OK, I think we got enough tambourine for today. I think I think you can dial it back. <laughs> she was really going. And I mean, but that's what this is to a lot of these people. I'm not going to say everyone, but to a lot of them, this has replaced religion. This is the new religion for them. This is uh, what they base their identity around. And not just trans people, but their supporters and everyone else that, again, they're on the side of good. They're fighting for righteousness. They're fighting to save the world. And in, uh, in pursuit of that goal, any excess, any bad behavior is truly excused because, again, how can the how can the good guys do bad? And that is what they believe. And they never take a second to realize, well, maybe I have to play by the same rules as these people I believe are bad guys. Maybe I can't put my hands on people at protest, even though I think you know, that they're the scum of the earth. And I don't know if they're going to get there. We're going to see. I think there's going to be repercussions for some of the people who are at this protest, especially this Netflix writer who again attacked both me and my friend. He attacked both of us. He thought it was his job to uh, oust us from this event. I don't know how he got it in his head, but I assume that he again thinks he's one of the right people and that whatever action he takes uh, will be excused by history, his employers, whatever else. And I think he's going to learn that's not the case. Well, it's quite embarrassing since as a writer, he should know the value of words and the freedom to express them. And oh, I've seen yeah, this exactly. in the UK unroll time and time again. Again, uh, the lovely Owen Jones from The Guardian telling us all that we're on the wrong side of history, who signed on to a letter, a mass letter by The Guardian to get Suzanne Moore ousted. She left to her good graces. Uh, I wouldn't have reacted so kindly, honestly, because I think there was a lot of defamation within that letter. And the character assassination that goes on within this movement if you have a career, can end your livelihood and can leave you impoverished. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, when I originally came out, I went, well, whoever grabbed my sign, I don't know, it's probably just some nut. When I find out that it's a Hollywood writer with plenty of credits to his name, shows and movies that I'm sure you've uh, seen, I mean, people, I'll just give the name. It's Joe Cristalli. Uh, he's currently working on a reboot of Frasier. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. Uh, How I Met Your Mother, he was a writer on. And I go, this is a guy, a comedy writer as well. I mean, these are, <laughs> I should be calling this man a colleague. Oh, a fellow comedian. I'm sure that you're here to say that uh, jokes of all stripes can be allowed and we can find a common ground. But instead, you're bizarrely here for the purpose of stamping out those who are standing for con I, I don't understand. <laughs> and that made me very upset. I mean, whenever I get upset, I just end up again. I find life so absurd these days that I just have to laugh. 
but I truly am like, what, what, what is this world I'm living in where my fellow comedy writers are doing everything in their power to, to hurt and abuse and make sure my voice is silenced. Ah, it's enough to drive you up a wall. And it really does drive me up a wall <laughs> quite often. Well, that scene of them destroying your sign and claiming then that you have a weapon was straight out of Monty Python. You couldn't have written it better. Right. It was, it was completely bizarre to the point where I was like, did he plan this? Did he know he was going to break someone's sign today? And then, uh, immediate claim that the man had a weapon. It, uh, it came so swiftly. I was like, wow, that would almost be smart if you didn't have a million cameras here and didn't give your name to a news organization about 20 minutes before assaulting somebody. Um, but other than that, it was an interesting tactic. I would have never thought of that. And was he one of the people involved in attacking your colleague, Dick Masterson? He was the exact after he had destroyed my sign. Uh, the good Joe Cristalli decided that, well, I'm on a roll. Maybe I can add another flag-destroying uh, tally I've got running. So as Dick is standing quietly, he's, he basically said, well, all the news cameras are pointed at this protest. So I'm just going to stand in the back, and you'll be able to see my Davis funny sign in the back row. Not yelling, not doing anything, just literally standing with the sign, being like, I'll get it in the shot. And then our message gets seen, and people know we're here. So as Dick is arguing with another, um, you know, activist there, the same man, the same writer, Joe Cristalli. I mean, this is all we've discovered today because uh, Dick did not remember everything that happened. He's like, I don't know. Somebody came out of nowhere and we got the footage. And we went, it's the same guy. We were incredulous. Same guy comes up, puts his hands on the sign. And Dick basically goes, I'm not letting you have my sign. He's kind of trying to get it away from him. And as this is going on, Someone gets it in their head that uh, Dick is assaulting Joe and uh, takes it on themselves to uh, attack uh, my friend Dick. And again, it smashes head right into something. And I mean, I'm optimistic, but let's just say Dick's not 100 percent right now. I mean, when your brain bashes against your skull, some things get knocked loose and uh, we'll see is all I can say. We're not happy. Did he file a police report? And are the police investigating? We are currently planning to file charges. Uh, he has a lawyer. I do not. So I'm just kind of going with him. Uh, I will definitely be filing charges, but I think I'm going to wait until after Dick files his. Uh, again, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know why that's the way they want to do it. But I, I will say that charges are going to be filed. And we're also, I mean... I'm, I'm going to talk about this guy. I think this guy would prefer that I just go away. But I'm like, listen, man, you attack me, you attack my friend. I, I can't go, oh, well, you know, uh, enjoy your show on Netflix. Enjoy your cushy job in Hollywood. I'm going to go, no, there is a violent man working at Netflix. You know, I'm not a cancel culture guy. I'm not trying to take people's jobs for things they say. But when you have a guy who's out there in front of his company, violently attacking protesters because he doesn't like what they have to say. Frankly, I think that's something the public should know about. And frankly, that man should at the very least be offering apologies and some sort. I don't know how, how why would you want to watch a comedy written by a comedy writer who assaults comedians? I would not understand that. And uh, that's kind of the situation that we seem to be in. 
I don't understand why I would want to watch a Frasier reboot written by a guy who helps assault comedians. It's a, it's a true absurdity to me. So uh, we're, we're going to file charges. I don't know if the LAPD is going to care, but we will see uh, what comes of it. On a more controversial note here, you yourself have reported YouTube content in the past, such as Alex Jones, asking that it be removed. And some people have critiqued you for this in lieu of what happened last week. How do you square free speech in terms of your actions and then reporting other people's speech? Well, it's a complicated thing, and I have taken a lot of flag for it, and I've actually adjusted some of my thinking regarding it. Now, I do believe you can have a private platform. I mean, if I open a movie theater, someone comes in, they say, well, I've got a 10 hour film of me on the toilet. I can go, well, I don't think you're the this is the right venue for you. Uh, perhaps there's somewhere else you could take your film that it would be better suited for. There's also guys, you know, who want to go on YouTube. And again, I'm not I have never flagged anybody for having an opinion. I've flagged someone who said, you know, this journalist lives here. And uh, I hope something horrible happens to them. And I go, well, uh, buddy, that's against the terms of service. Uh, you really, YouTube doesn't want you doing that. And I frankly agree with them on that uh, account. So what it, what it comes down to, though, and where it gets complicated is, is YouTube existing to stamp out, uh, does, it, does it allow other platforms to exist? Because I do have a true view of free speech where I go, if you want to say something truly horrendous about a minority or whatever else, I don't like it. I don't want to hear it, but I will stand for your right to say it. Absolutely. I can't tell you you can't say it. You have that free speech right. The question is, do you have that same right on a platform controlled by uh, Google or do they have the right to tell you? No, that that goes beyond the pale of what we want to hear in this space. Some people will say YouTube should function as a public square, a true public square, where you should be able to post whatever you want at any time for any reason. Now, traditionally, my view has been, I can't square with that. I think that a platform should be able to decide, yeah, just because I've opened this movie theater, why do I need to allow all movies in that same vein? Just because I've built these tools and this software that I've invested great money into to have this uh, video hosting software, why do I have to give it to every uh, Tom, Dick, and Harry, why can't I choose who gets access to these tools that I've built? So what the question comes down to is, does YouTube allow other platforms to exist? Uh, the argument that some are making is that YouTube uh, uses legislation and other tools to make sure that no actual competitor to YouTube could ever possibly survive in a marketplace. And if that's true, then I, I almost do have to say to YouTube, well, if you want to control all speech, then you have to allow all speech. Uh, that being said, I mean, this is a new perspective that I've, I've been developing based on a conversation I had with a good friend of mine. I, I don't know the extent to which YouTube controls, you know, speech on the Internet, to which control uh, whether they control whether or not competing platforms could exist. But in the interim, and again, I, I must be clear, I've never used the uh, these people who say i flagged alex jones i saw that they had alex jones on he was saying some very controversial things about whether or not vaccines work he was you know repeating some pizza gate conspiracy theories and i legitimately said i'm pretty sure this isn't allowed on youtube and i tweeted about it 
And they're saying that by tweeting about it, that's the same as trying to flag it and getting it taken down. I understand why they have that perception and I'm even willing to accept that perception. And I have apologized to these people. I've said, you know what? I was not there. I was mad with Alex Jones. I don't like the things he says. Uh, he said some truly horrible things about and hurt a lot of people. Um, but you're right. I should not have voiced that as he was a guest on your uh, particular channel. So, but the point is, people would say that I'm against free speech when, I mean, if you really look at things I do and say, maybe I disagree about where the lines for free speech are, but to say I'm a hypocrite, I think is, honestly, these are guys who I've had disagreements with in the past. I don't think they really care about this free speech discussion we're having. I think that they have just found one little uh, thing that I all admit was a misstep. I should not have tweeted what I did, but that they're using it as a stand in for every previous argument we've ever had and trying to say, look, Vito, the great hypocrite, he doesn't care about speech at all. He's a he's a grifter and a liar. I would hope having this discussion with you, you would hear that I am on the side of free speech, even if I don't necessarily always agree with you know what the role of a private platform is in platforming it it's a complex subject and i think we can have different opinions on that subject without accusing each other of being hypocrites and the irony is that had this been any other comedian of lesser standing their career would have been wiped out by their version of the closer we know that dave Chappelle is too big to cancel at this point and right. netflix has raked in tens of millions from his shows that's what I've been telling people is, you know, they say, well, you can't cancel Dave Chappelle. I mean, there's no such thing as cancel culture. And, and what I want to say to these people is here's here's the deal is when you hear from these groups, well, we don't want to cancel anyone. We just want to put one of us on the board of directors. We want to put one of us in charge of the creative, whatever, just just one of us. Do you think they're going to add someone who is a very even keeled free speech type person who really analyzes satire and knows the ins and outs of comedy? Or are they going to put a guy like Joe Cristalli who beats up people who don't agree with him and tries to destroy their free speech rights? Nine times out of 10, I mean, these people, we see them in organizations. And once they get in there, they start very quickly setting up rules that make it impossible to have conversations on these topics, to have offensive jokes, whatever else. And that's what's happening with Netflix right now. It's not about stopping Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle, again, is too big to cancel. No network, no matter what you say to a network, no matter who you employ, they're going to go, we're going to take the $500 million or whatever it is that we get from having his special. But when, again, yes, when you have a small time comedian, you know, maybe an up and comer, and he maybe said one, uh, you know, slightly offensive joke a year ago, two years ago, whatever else. We've seen this happen to uh, there was a comedian whose name I'm going to be so upset that I've forgotten uh, Shane Gillis, who was hired to write for uh, SNL and Saturday Night Live, a big show in America. I don't know if you guys have that where you're at, um, but he had a podcast. Someone dug through every episode and they found one episode where for about 10 seconds, he did an impression of his girlfriend doing an impression of an Asian person. They had been at an Asian restaurant and she had uh, used a mocking kind of Asian accent to refer to one of the, the food items. And he was chastising her in the story. But, you know, he, he told it from her point of way. He goes, my girlfriend said offensive thing. And I said, baby, you can't talk like that in the restaurant. So 
it was a joke saying that those types of accents are offensive. And next thing you know, they go, Shane Gillis hates Asian people. How could you possibly give this bigot a job on one of the best, you know, comedy shows of all time, whatever. And of course, the second uh, day after they announce he's going to be the new uh, writer on the show, he's gone over again, a bit which was defending, it was saying that mocking racial stereotypes are not the best behavior in a restaurant. I mean, it, it's a true absurdity what, what we as comedians are dealing with. As I was saying tonight to someone, you, you show up in Hollywood and you try to get a job, you send me your resume, they, they don't ask, what are your qualifications? How funny are you? They go, well, what color is your hair? And you go, well, it's just my normal hair color. And they go, well, we don't, get, we don't got room for you. Sorry about that, sir. Uh, it, it is an absurdity that we are dealing with here in America, and I think comedians everywhere. We're seeing changes all the time in what's acceptable and not acceptable. I'll give you an example. During lockdown, <laughs> I watched a lot of older sitcoms, one of which was The Golden Girls. Now, in The Golden Girls, if you recall, uh, one of the main characters, Bay Arthur's character, who plays the role of Dorothy, her brother is a crossdresser. And as I'm watching the episodes where she refers to her brother, I thought, well, this would never go today. This would be so canceled. And you look yeah. back at any show prior to even 2005, and one could make that argument very easily that this would not fly. Now, where does comedy rest when we have to always look over our shoulders historically in terms of something that Again, going back to our discussion about material reality, we, we need to address that as well. This is not akin to the Holocaust. This is not akin to the horrendous effects and reality of the slave trade. Not at all. Right. But we're sold the transgender issue as that. And it's quite appalling to me that not just as a comedian, but you are a comedian. Uh, you write jokes. As a writer, this guy from Netflix, Joe Cristalli, took yes. umbrage at something that he makes his living from. There's loads of hypocrisies all around. So has this kind of interaction, those that you saw outside of the Netflix headquarters, have they affected your comedy and the work you do on your YouTube channel? Do you self-censor? Well, because of YouTube's own rules, I do have to censor in certain ways. I mean, there's certain language I have to avoid just to make sure I can run ads on my videos or, you know, make sure I don't run afoul of their rules. But I will say for YouTube, I do find many of their rules pretty fair. I, I understand why they come up with them. When I am upset with YouTube is when I think they, they do a very bad job of understanding satire. Uh, they, they seem to see mockery of certain things as an endorsement of it and you can't really reach anyone to try and reason with them. And that's become a problem for me. For instance, in some videos, again, I mean, making comparisons to uh, to Hitler or World War II, I, I have one video where I go, oh, well, isn't this gentleman acting a bit like Hitler, you know? And I at that time, I play a short video clip of Hitler. And I think YouTube goes, whoa, whoa, what is this? Uh, we don't like videos of Hitler on our channel. And unfortunately, that video, I can no longer run ads on it. So YouTube is not a perfect system, uh, and it is a struggle for comedians to figure out where those rules are. But in terms of having, you know, just a general career in comedy, I mean, if you want to have a mainstream comedy career, uh, bite your tongue until it falls off. I mean, the the list of things that are off limits, 
and not just off limits. It's more you make the jokes and you hope nobody gets so mad at you for a stupid reason that they put them all in a big document and, and take them all out of context. I mean, a lot of comedians, you might tell one off color joke, you know, maybe once a year you get one wrong. But when you assemble it into this document that's trying to prove some insane link between you and hate and whatever else, uh, they have a way of twisting the truth and twisting reality to make you seem like a true horrible person when in reality you're a guy who told again this shane gillis incident oh he hates asian people look at this clip we took where he's mocking the way asian people talk they don't show you the whole clip where he's again chastising his girlfriends for speaking that way so we we i i say this i mean i don't watch mainstream comedy anymore i don't watch uh sitcoms on television they don't make comedy movies anymore the director of the movie Joker, who uh, previously directed the Hangover trilogy, they said, would you ever direct a comedy again? And he goes, comedy is one of those. We don't make those anymore. You're not allowed to. Uh, we live almost in a post-comedy society. And the, frankly, the only place that comedy exists seems to be on the Internet where they the media can't control it, where these people who, again, have wormed their way into these organizations and uh, are able to nix every idea that comes across their desk they think is the slightly bit off beat, we can just go online and have podcasts and have YouTube channels, whatever it is. And I laugh harder at those than anything I'm seeing coming from the media, which is a tragedy. I meet people in this online sphere who I go, you're one of the funniest people I've ever met. You should be, you should have your own TV show, your own movies, whatever else. And they go, yeah, but I told a couple bad jokes back in the day. So who knows what blacklist I'm on? And I know that me showing up at Netflix to support one of the greatest comedians of all time, they'll say, well, he's on the list. We can't ever work with this guy again. He dared to say Dave Chappelle is funny. Oh, <laughs> I mean, that's the nightmare that I'm living in is I go, I can't, I'm not getting a, a job at Netflix anytime soon. I got a great script. I'd love to pitch him, but you know, it's going to sit in the closet a little bit longer. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a very bizarre situation. And I know the comedians aren't happy about it, but a lot of these comedians, they're making their money from working in the mainstream. They're afraid to rock the boat. So the only two guys who show up to protest and support a comedy are two dumb Internet comedians who have a dumb podcast that nobody listens to. Uh, well, but we're happy. We're happy to be the ones to uh, bear that weight. Well, you make very good observations about the way this movement has been crafted even from outside where you have the Associated Press and Variety fomenting a kind of hatred towards you by virtue of misrepresentation, defamation, and just let's say it, outright lies. On the yes. other hand, you have Hollywood that has people who watch TV will recognize this. There have been many shows clearly captured with this ideology so that you're watching Glee and transgender characters are popping up all over the place. You're watching shows that have been rebooted like Will and Grace, same thing. So transgender ideology has made its way into screenplays. We see it all over TV and it's been pernicious these past five, six years. Everywhere there has to be a transgender person represented. And we know also from what happened earlier this year with the defamation of Jesse Singal, one of the journalists that in fact highlighted the misrepresentation of the AP, that they have a lobbyist in Hollywood who advises scriptwriters and producers as to inclusion of trans identified people. 
This is a problem to me, where we have ideology seeping into our culture in all ways for mass media, whether it's the quote unquote news organizations, and one must put this in quotes because this isn't journalism, this is shitty muckraking. It's made People and Hello Magazine look like great journalism comparatively. <laughs> uh, at least we get great pictures of the queen and her dogs, right? And then right. we have Hollywood that is being captured because organizations like GLAAD and the ACLU have guaranteed their lobby within narrative scripts and on our TVs at the end of the day. It seems that there's no way out from this. Even the Netflix president who made a comment supporting Chappelle backtracked a little bit. Why would someone in his position be afraid? He's making buckets of money over Dave Chappelle's work. How is this happening that in a capitalist society, again, I'm very far to the left, so I have a lot of issues <laughs> with capitalism, and I would even finger point capitalism at being the heart of this dogma. We have nowhere else to head, but as you point out, independent media outlets on the internet. It's bizarre. It is very troubling, and what I can only hope, and it's a misplaced hope to be clear, is that I hope that these shows that don't make money, these movies that don't make money, when people go, this isn't funny what you're giving us. I hope that at some point, someone within this organization goes, I feel like money matters more than the feelings of the people who are mad at us. I hate to, I mean, as, as jaded as that sounds, they go, listen, I'm a capitalist at heart. I want TV shows that people actually want to watch. I'm not here to produce you know, entertainment that pleases a small group of activists and journalists and whatever else. Um, and if that doesn't happen, I mean, you know, where that money comes, it's coming into the Internet. I talked to some YouTubers tonight and I was I was baffled by the amount of money that they claim they're making. I was like, oh, my, well, there's where comedy's going to go. I mean, if these guys uh, are able to just tell some jokes that maybe are a little off color, maybe not ready for the uh, prime time or whatever else. Uh, I think there's room for some media organization to step forward and go, you know what? Uh, there's so much great comedy that could be getting made right now. If we put a great comedy movie in the theaters, if we supported some great comedy TV shows, people would watch them. We're just not giving them anything because we're too afraid to. And my hope is, yes, the glory of the capitalist enterprise, somebody with the money and the wisdom and the foresight to go, why don't I just start a new comedy network or a movie production studio and stop worrying about the politics of everyone around and just let comedians do their thing? It might happen. I mean, I'm, we're seeing some some movement in that direction. Uh, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I do think that it's so long as these activists continue to insist on I want a spot on the board. You know, you need 10 seats for these guys and they're going to we need a chief content officer who makes sure to stamp out anything that might make us laugh. Yeah, you're in a lot of trouble. I, and I do think the Netflix uh, head kowtowing to these people. I'm like, buddy, the, once you kowtow to one, you're going to kowtow to all of them. Either take a stand or just give up. And I'm, I'm hoping that he maybe maybe he gave them a small concession but ultimately is going to stand by his free speech stance. We'll see. I don't know. I'm, I'm scared, but I'm optimistic. Uh, it's a polarization inside of me.
Thank you.